Hey everybody, welcome to Latter-day Struggles. This is your host, Valerie, back at you with a little bit of a different kind of episode today. This is part two of a two-part series that Nathan and I did on uh, my old podcast called Generation Exhausted, and it's about spiritual burnout and me and Nathan's personal and ongoing journeys that we have been on in our own faith expansion. We recorded this podcast series I want to say about two years ago. Does that sound about right, Nathan? So uh, take a listen to it, and we hope you enjoy it. Hello, welcome to Generation Exhausted. This is Valerie back here with you, and with me I have my husband and right-hand man, although he's on my left, Nathan. Hi, Nathan. Hello, beautiful. How are you? Wonderful. Good, good, good. So we were going to talk about burnout and the body and I should probably not do that. I should probably not make promises because at least at this point in our journey, we are not batching out these recordings. We are recording them as we go and we got so much feedback on our episode last week, uh, faith and organized institutional religion and burnout and how Nathan and I are navigating this and we just decided we needed to stay on this topic one more week, uh, mainly because the questions and comments that came in to both of us on each of our social media platforms, uh, there was certainly um, a flavor to a lot of the questions and comments, and there were a couple of things that we thought would be great to address. And so, without further ado, I think there are two big questions we want to respond to that hopefully will feed your souls today in a deepening understanding of how to navigate this concept of burnout and our own relationship with institutional religion. So any thoughts as we kick this off, Nathan? No, I was just going to say that the questions that we're going to pose are really kind of a conglomerate of a lot of different mm -hmm. questions and comments. It's it, No one person asked the question this way, but uh, I, I never get anything on my social media. I'm, I'm purely kind of socially media boring. <laughs> um, and yet, after this podcast, I actually had people send me comments and questions. And so uh, I was pretty blown away by just that part of it. <laughs> uh, but we've talked about it. And so what, the, the, the two basic questions that we're going to address here are sort of a conglomeration of a lot of feedback that we got. Yes. Very well said, Nath. And so I think let's just go ahead and start with this, because this is probably what I personally heard the most over and over and over again. This idea that people, and this is less a question and just more a comment that I would like to deepen and broaden. But the idea here, in essence, was many, many people said, thank you for articulating a struggle that I have been having for years that I have not been able to wrap words around. And boy, that really hit me to the core because what it did is helped me. I was, I was first of all, filled with gratitude that, um, that I was able in some way to help someone. That's really all I want to do. And that's why that's my, my vision and my purpose in this podcast that I do is that I can help people not feel alone. And furthermore, it really got me to thinking about why is it so hard for us to speak 
about the struggles that we have in our own faith development, especially when it comes to this idea of organized religion. Any thought that you would like to add to that, Nath? No, I, I think that was one of the most common questions or comments I heard as well as just this idea of thank you for saying something that I've just never had the courage to say myself. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think you were going to lead off. You had some thoughts on, on why sometimes this can be a very difficult um, channel to navigate. Yes, yes. So let me just start by saying I feel that this is challenging to talk about because it is so core to our identity as human beings. I believe that our relationship with the divine is very, very tender to each of us. And also many of us have had experiences that fall on one of two ends of the spectrum in our own human experience. Either we have a lot of experiences with the divine that have really been formative and are precious and tender, or on the other hand, we have been deeply wounded by relationships with or how religion or faith has influenced our lives through people or pastors or something where we have really felt deeply um we have kind of deep deep scars too and so it's like gosh on either end there's it's tender and it really touches into who we are as human beings and what it means to be human and so that was one of the things that i kept thinking about as far as like why is this so challenging and then i think the other thing that really um kind of came up for me as far as why this is such a a challenging topic to to articulate to talk about to make sense of i was i was kind of moving through my mind of books and um, ways of understanding ways of thinking about this that had been most formative in my own faith development and my own capacity to talk about this subject and um okay if you are a reader and like to follow the things that i read here's a time for you to jot, jot down this book because it's amazing uh, the author is a man by the name of brian mclaren and the book is called Faith After Doubt. And this book blew my mind and I couldn't stop talking about it. And I jumped back into it today to review a couple of thoughts and feelings about why it's so hard to talk about. And this is what he says about this idea of faith development. And anyone who knows me well or who has heard me speak at all knows I'm obsessed with the brain and how the brain works and how the brain how we are healed through the brain how we find peace and how we come to know ourselves through a better understanding of ourselves um separate from this idea of our brain okay so let's talk just a quick second about the brain the brain is like a three-member committee and it forms from the bottom or from lower down to higher up so the first part of the brain that develops is kind of like our primitive brain. It is the thing that controls things like hunger and thirst and sleep and stress and uh, cold, warm, sexual appetites, things like that. That part of the brain developed a very, very, very long time ago, and it is only interested in one thing. It is interested in survival, and it really is driven by instincts. Okay, if you move up to a little bit less primitive, the next part of the development of the brain is the relational brain and it is really really interested in safety and it just wants to belong it wants to get along with everybody and that part of the brain is a very very powerful part that develops even before birth and that's why children are bonded to their primary caregiver their mother by the time they're born they're already recognizing the sound of her voice and then if you go a little higher to the newest 
the most evolutionarily new part of the brain, you have the intellect. This part of the brain that makes meaning of things. And so if you think about this brain of ours, that's a three-member committee, it is constantly navigating how to manage any one situation based on meaning, belonging, or survival. Okay, so if you start in injecting faith into that, all of a sudden it can get pretty interesting. Anything you want to add here, Nath? No. Okay. Okay, so the idea of faith development and when we start what, like struggling with an issue around faith, most of the time it's because something bumps into our meaning system that we don't quite understand, whether it be a doctrinal issue or a social issue or an issue that comes up in how we are seen and known and how we understand ourselves, um, our bodies, our relationships, things like that our meaning system starts churning and we start really trying to make sense of what this means. The thing that gets really sticky though is that those of us who have been, you know, who've lived in a faith tradition and have had good experiences there, all of a sudden that belonging system starts to get really angsty because we just want to belong. And so frequently, so much of our, um, the, the relationships that we have in our church systems have to do with family, have to do with friends, have to do with youth groups and family parties and things like that. And we just, it's almost like we, we have this really hard time navigating how to make sense of, I am learning things that are new and different that may not be as sort of black and white and as clean cut as I have once thought but I don't really want to think about that or look at that because I just want to get along with everybody. I don't want to have to push against the people that I love. And then you have the survival system at the bottom screaming, mayday, mayday, mayday. You know, if I, if I leave my tribe, I will be cold and hungry and naked. <laughs> or if I, if I don't believe in these things that I've always taught to believe, I may be shunned by family, but not only by family, I may, you know, the, the ultimate, uh, you know, end of survival is, you know, going shunned to hell, <laughs> right. right? I may be shunned by God himself. And so what this does is it creates an enormous amount of internal consternation where we're navigating what the heart feels, what the head feels, and the stress that the body is emitting as we're trying to navigate new ideas and new concepts as we move along this trajectory of spiritual development from simplicity into complexity because that's what we nathan and i talked a lot about last week is you know the black and white the fundamentalism the like we know exactly how to tell everyone to get exactly where you know they need to go to be the happiest and ultimately go to heaven and all those things and then we move into complexity and i know for myself when i as i moved into complexity and as i'm still like navigating this it's, it's scary, right? It takes a lot of courage to, to stay. It takes courage to go. It takes courage in either case to be able to think differently about something that our tribe has integrated within us that at one point in time worked, and now it doesn't work the same. Yeah, so I mean, as you were saying those things, I mean, it really hit home that there's a whole, a whole complex, um, like you said, almost like an intellectual versus an emotional battle. Yes. That that takes place, and, and you hear things, and, and you say to yourself, "That doesn't sound right," and yet at the same time, 
it's what you've always been taught. And so the gut wrenches and it's just always been the case that we've been taught. Don't ask questions. Don't question it. It's, you know, it's what's in the book and the book is never wrong. So you have this sense of, okay, well, there must be something wrong with me then. When I am struggling with something, I must be the problem. And then it becomes really hard to talk about it because you it's, it's like walking into the doctor and saying I have syphilis. And it's like, well, how bad a person are you? <laughs> right. um, and so, yeah, I think people just sit there and, and have been taught to say, if you are uncomfortable, it's your problem. And so now you're stuck in a paradigm where you're like, okay, I got to keep my mouth closed because it's not just that I have a question and I'm coming outside the box, but obviously I also have a ma massive problem. There's something wrong with me that I'm not conforming or staying in pseudo community. And I think there again lies the problem. I think the fundamental problem with this entire paradigm, Nath, is that we have to have a heightened capacity to manage an enormous amount of tension as we're working through our own spiritual development journeys, meaning that we have to get used to being uncomfortable with the tribe, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's challenging for some people, more challenging for some than others, because some people are real heart-heavy people. In other words, they aren't necessarily overly interested in a deep study of belief, for example, right, of the, the theology or the technicalities, per se, of any one faith tradition. Really, all they want is to belong to the tribe. Right. You know, they want to just sit in a circle and kind of sing the kumbaya sort of thing. And that's what matters to them. Whereas other people are less interested in that. And they are absolutely like adamant that they understand every sort of passage and interpretation of, you know, of scripture. And so people tend to lean one direction or the other. But the fact of the matter is in faith development issues, we have to become comfortable in the tension of managing all of these different systems the head the heart and the gut and guess who guess who actually ultimately trumps everybody the the gut the gut wins the gut is the nervous system it's the fight fight fleas fleas <laughs> fight flight freeze response and i think that in some ways is oftentimes why people leave they can't tolerate the tension of growth yeah so for me, I mean, there were a lot of things that kind of changed my perspective on, on those things. But I, I have to say that probably the thing that struck me the most um, was in, in a book that I was listening to, uh, one of the um, authors says, it's not that we can't conceive of a God to this effect. We can't conceive of a God that is angry or very rigid or has these incredibly strict expectations that everybody stay in line. We could conceive of such a God. It's just that such a God would not be worthy of our worship. Mm, beautiful. And when I thought about that, I said, okay, I, I, I buy into that. I, I buy into a God that is absolutely fine with asking questions, having doubts, not understanding things, wanting to go deeper, wanting for, you know us to have a relationship directly with him or her and sifting through things on a, on a kind of a personal basis as to what feels right. Uh, you know, talking about the gut. Uh, and so when, when, I, when I heard that, I thought, okay, that, that was sort of permission giving for me to say, okay, I am gonna start asking 
I'm going to start asking questions. I love that. I love that. And I, I corroborate, I, I agree with that 100%, Nathan, because what I noticed in my own spiritual journey is that I always just kept checking in with what I was feeling around my relationship with the divine themselves. Right. Not what the institution felt about my relationship with them. In other words, I wasn't so worried about how would the church feel about my growth. Right. It was more about I'm 100% sure that my relationship with the divine is strengthened by my working through these complexities that I'm going through where I'm pushing back and challenging parts of the institution and parts of the training. And here's the thing that I've come up with as I have managed this and navigated it is, and these are very, um, I'm going to be very, very raw and real here about this. The institution that I belong to is, is messy. They're going through a lot. And I, you know, you who don't know me out there, you don't even know, need to know what my faith tradition is. And I could just as soon be yours because I bet it's true in yours too. <laughs> we are going through a cultural meltdown and institutional religion is in struggle due to a lot of social issues. And as, it, as I was like wrestling with this, it occurred to me, a couple of things occurred to me. Number one, I don't know where I would go that would have issues that would be less complicated than the ones my tradition is working through. They may be slightly different, but they would not, they, I'm not going to find a home that is less complicated. It would just be, I would say, equal to or maybe even more so complicated for different reasons. But there's no home to go to that, that saves me from the complexities of being part of a religious tradition. And the second thing that I've, I've come up with in my, in my own thoughts and feelings are that, and I, I quote Richard Rohr here, our granddaddy Rohr, who we seem to talk about all the time, in his, in his own grappling with his own faith, is he says, my tradition has done as good as some and better than others and not quite as good as still others <laughs> in developing me into a man of God. And I loved that because I thought, you know what? That right there is raw and vulnerable and honest. And he also said, I, inside of my own faith, am someone that can be the most honest critic of my own faith, but also I do so with a lot of compassion. And I think that is such a struggle, right? It's such a struggle. And what it requires, I think, is, again, an enormous amount of personal development to sit in mess, to sit in the messiness of this murky gray area, which is required of those of us who are trying to work through levels of our own psychological development, which means I can't afford to be a fundamentalist in any way in my life anymore. Not as a wife, not as a mother, not as someone inside of a faith system. I have to be able to manage complexity and manage the fact that they out there in the institutions make a lot of mistakes and yet I choose to stay because if those of us who are trying to live in this higher level of spiritual development leave, guess who is running the zoo? <laughs> it's all the fundamentalists, <laughs> right? right? Thoughts or feelings? Well, and yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely true is that we have to stick around and, and kind of be a, a moderating voice. Um, I think the other thing that, that comes up is, is that... Um, Part of personal growth is being in messiness. Um, when, when, if any time something difficult comes up, 
we just decide, okay, we're out, um, it completely eliminates the growth response that we're supposed to have to difficult things. And so, you know, if, if somebody at church says something that hurts my feelings or, or a bishop or a pastor says something that I don't agree with and I simply just walk, um, there's, there's, there's no strength there. There's no courage there. There's no personal growth there. Um, that's kind of like the five-year-old response of taking my ball and going home because you, you know, didn't throw me the pass when we were playing football. And so I, 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 I want to, you know, kind of make sure that we're on the same page on this. Um, institutional religion has huge problems. <laughs> it really does. Yes. Uh, we touched on it last time. We touched, you know, on it a little bit more this time. Um, but in, in saying that, Lots of things have problems. Our families have problems. Our country has problems. Our society has problems. Um, you know, the white American race has problems. We all have problems. And, and the answer to those problems is not to simply take our ball and go home. The answer to those problems is to sit in the difficulty, acknowledge the difficulty, uh, but also grow in the difficulty. That's really beautifully said. And I, I, what I was thinking about as I was listening to you is some of the, some of the, the scholars that I have read who have blown my mind with their courage about talking about real things. I mean, I remember a few years ago as I started reading uh, another set of authors, it's a husband and wife couple, Terrell and Fiona Givens, I was reading them and they were absolutely pushing uh, pushing back against so many sort of long-held um, and incorrect traditions inside of the culture of some conservative Christian faith traditions. And I thought to myself, they're so brave and bold, and yet it's interesting that I can tell that they're people of great faith. They're not going anywhere. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, why do they stay, you know? Right. And then what washed over me as the years have gone by, and I've read more and more of their books, is... I'm so grateful that they stayed around for me as a fundamentalist or somebody who was really in a lower level of spiritual development, thinking that I was all wise and all the hubris and all of the arrogance that I had of having it all figured out. And when life brought me to a place to where I found them and I read them, I was so grateful that they stayed inside right. that they were there that they were there and that they didn't roll their eyes and walk away right even though they professed to have plenty of reasons to have done so if they had wanted to they chose not to for me and so as i i don't pretend to be anywhere near where they are in the levels of intelligence and spiritual development but my point there being is that i am i'm certainly further along than i used to be and one of the markers, I think, of, of spiritual development is the capacity to hold the tension of complexity and to not oversimplify good, stay, bad, go, right. <laughs> right? And I think another little piece of that that you touched on a little bit a minute ago, Nathan, is I think once again, what we are intended to learn in our life and in our, you know, in our marriages and in our you know, relationships with the divine and with churches. And it's, it's, it seems like there's always what we think we're supposed to be learning. And then what we're actually learning right. is, is something completely different. Right. And one thing that I have found that I, I am probably getting about a C plus on, if I were to be totally honest with myself is I think 
institutions like churches are as much as anything so that we can learn how to be patient with other human beings. Yeah. I mean, that may be one of the top couple of reasons why uh, institutions of religion are profoundly, profoundly uh, formative in our growth if we can learn how to get along with those people that in any other realm of life we would never choose to be with. Yeah, so not too, too long ago, you sent me a, a, a text quote, um, and it said something to the effect, and, and you'll remember who the author was, but it said something to the effect of, the purpose of marriage is not to have happiness and bliss, it's to grow personally and relationally. And that one really struck me because the first thought was like, oh, thank heaven, because <laughs> not that I don't like my marriage, but there's a lot of growth here. So yeah. uh, we definitely uh, can check that box. Um, we, we definitely push each other. We stretch each other, um, sometimes on purpose, sometimes not on purpose. But when we have those moments where I'm like, OK, this is not what I signed up for. Um, I think to myself, no, the purpose of this is for us to learn how to get along. It's for us to learn how to work through this. And that has been really helpful in understanding our marriage relationship. Um, when, when you have two people that are both uh, very educated and very successful, there is going to be, uh, there, there's going to be some heads that butt. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but, but that's been helpful to me when the heads butt to think to myself, okay, what do, why do I need to learn from this? What you know, how can I grow from this? What, what, how will our marriage be better? Um, but I would just, you know, by the law of transitive property, I'd just put that right into any relationship, including the, 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 the faith communities that, that we participate in, uh, is that these are there to teach us how to love what otherwise might seem unlovable um, and to be patient with that, which feels like doesn't deserve, you know, patience. It's like, no, it, you're missing the point. The point is, is that you do need to figure out how to love people and be with people and not just run away every time something's difficult. Beautifully said, beautifully said. And I think I, well, and I, I've never had that feeling of, of the struggle in marriage, Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> just but I'm appreciating what you're saying about it. So it okay. sounds hard. It <laughs> was my other wife. That's right. <laughs> The one you take to all the movies. Yeah. Because I have no memory of any movies with him because I sleep through every movie we've ever watched together in 22 years. <laughs> so anyways, okay, so yes. So yes, it's all, it's, it's in some ways more about what we're learning about ourselves while the lesson or the sermon is being taught. Right. It's less about what's going on and more about what's going on inside of us to push and challenge us. And I think I want to make one more point and then we'll move on to the next question, which is this. I think we have so much to learn around, I think each generation brings its gifts. And I think the younger generation in their passion and their love of the oppressed is something that you and I as, as Gen Xers, we don't have as much of an aptitude for that as I think we should. And we're, we're learning, right? We're learning. But I know our own children have taught us so much about what it means to look look after those who have not been loved well. And once again, if you and I were to go, who is going to stand up for the oppressed mm -hmm. in conservative Christian religions? Who is going to stand up for all of those people who have not been loved well? 
because we can't do that from outside of the faith nearly as powerfully as we can do it from inside and be a voice of reason and of calm and of true love. And um, I feel really, really passionate about that. I am the children's choir director at our church and nothing brings me more pleasure and joy every week than teaching those children about the unconditional nature of love for all human beings, no matter who they are, what their skin color is, what their gender orientation is, what, what it doesn't matter. And I am explicit about teaching these children these principles that human beings have to know because it is in that that we are being made in the image of God and that alone. Well said. Any other thoughts as I... No, that was beautiful. <laughs> in on that. Okay, let's move on, if we may, to question number two that so many people um, asked. Why don't, you, why don't you take this one, Nathan? So... Um, this this question is, is one that we've asked too, um, and that is, how do you reconcile the fact that you feel like you may have outgrown certain aspects of organized religion or that you don't see things the same way, and yet we're also raising kids um, that need to go through the stages of spiritual development? And so we say to ourselves, gosh, I do not see things the same. My church doesn't teach love the way that it should teach love. My church doesn't teach inclusivity the way it should teach inclusivity. Therefore, um, this is not a good environment for my kids. And we've had those questions too. And, and I'm glad that people have, have brought them up. Um, I've, I've been messaged from people inside of my faith tradition and outside of my faith tradition on, on this issue of Either what do we do with our kids or here's what I did with, you know, mm -hmm. our kids. Here, here's how I responded to it. And, you know, I'll start by saying parents are absolutely entitled to their own inspiration on how they want to handle this question. But um, I thought it would be nice to just kind of touch on it because we have struggled with this particular issue uh, for sure. And, and, and I'll just start by saying there's a couple things that I've learned and, and, and we touched about this before, but... Richard War and others who have talked about spiritual development are very clear that you cannot skip stages. That it's very important to start with a stage that is kind of fundamentalist as people learn, you know, what's good, what's right, what's wrong, what helps us stay safe, what keeps us, uh, you know, uh, in, in a place of peace and harmony with other people, and what, what kinds of things are harmful. We, we, we do have to teach kids in a kind of a black and white manner those, uh, I hate to call them rules, but, uh, you know, those values, values, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a better, yeah, that's yeah. A much better word. But they have to be taught those values. Um, and so the way that I have have come to kind of reconcile this is using an analogy from my own life. I went through engineering and, and graduated in chemical engineering um, and ended up, you know, taking six semesters of calculus or calculus related math and now I have kids that are going through algebra and algebra 2 right now and algebra and algebra 2 are very simplistic for somebody who's been through six semesters of calculus okay? not everybody but but for me and so on the one hand I'm trying to teach my boys that it, it, you know there's so much more you can do with math you know you can eventually you'll get to the point where you can you know build buildings and and, and, and change the world with math and yet they still have to take Algebra 1. You can't skip Algebra 1 and just go straight to calculus. And so to me, it's a very simplistic 
kind of math, but absolutely necessary that my 14 and 16 year old sons, if they want to pursue a career in engineering or something like that, they have to get the basics of algebra. So for me, that is kind of how I have viewed the same idea around religion. Uh, they, they have to start with the basics and then when they understand the basics, they will have more freedom to branch out in the way they see fit. Thank you for that. And I think what we have done, um, we have certainly changed and morphed in how we have parented around these fundamentals, right? Yes. I think, um, I think we were far more rigid as younger parents. Uh, there were very few exceptions to roles made in those early years. Because as we uh, mentioned last week, we were like really sort of the card carrying Cub Scouts of our faith tradition. And we were very rigid. Now I have come to realize that rigidity is absolutely a marker of, of, re of emotional immaturity <laughs> and fear. and fear. Yeah. And the older we get and the more we grow, the more we recognize that the marker of emotional maturity is actually, in fact, flexibility. And so what we're trying to model in our home is the, the living of many fundamental values that look and feel very similar to what we would have done, you know, 10, 15 years ago with a lot of, sh um, we shift as needed, right? We shift as sure. needed. Definitely. That, In other words, there will be exceptions to rules frequently as needed, and we also articulate why, right? Mm -hmm. That there is a reason why we're doing this differently, that generally speaking, children, this is the way it looks in our family because we feel like this is a good idea and a good standard by which to live, to live a good upright life. We like this, Dad and I believe this to be true and helpful and good. And yet, this weekend, this particular thing doesn't make sense because a greater good is going to be brought about by the thing that we have chosen to do instead this weekend. And we're like really explicit about it. And I feel like it's very important that we be explicit because again, children in lower stages of spiritual development their brains kind of understand, they, they, the brains really kind of cling to that which is black and white. That's all their brains really know how to manage. And so if we sort of shift gears on them too quickly, but don't explain why, it's actually very, very confusing for a child. Sure. Any thoughts on that? No, I, I mean, I think you're hit the nail on the head. It's just a matter of understanding the, the, the intent of, of what these values are and then applying them in, in a way that's appropriate for um, the situation um, and then being a teacher about it as you go and say, here's, here's why we feel this or want to do this. Um, you're going to have to help me with this. Was it Gandhi that said, know the rules and live the rules so well that you actually know how to appropriately break them. Who's the Dalai Lama? Dalai Lama. <laughs> oh, right, right, sorry, Dalai Lama. Dalai Lama. Yes. So say it again. Well, and I'm paraphrasing yeah. uh, to be sure, but he said something to the effect of know the rules and live the rules so well that you know when it's appropriate or how to appropriately break them. Yes. And again, that's the the scariness or the complexity 
of spiritual development means to have the courage and the wisdom to live outside of the validation of a black and white institution from time to time. And, and I know even saying that people are like, well, what are you saying? Like, what are you giving me permission to do? Right. And that's the whole point. Is it supposed to be a little bit anxiety inducing? Because once again, this is not to be used as an excuse for bad behavior. It's not saying, oh, well, if I am really mature, that means that I know exactly when to go out and have an extramarital affair, right? Like that's not what this is. Right. <laughs> what this is saying is that if we are truly integrity-based human beings living inside of our, our virtue and living lives of integrity, we will in fact have that soul sense to know what is an appropriate time to do the thing that feels like in past lives or in lower levels of spiritual development we would not have been able to do yeah go ahead well i was gonna say i i have a, a very clear example from when i was a kid we had neighbors that lived next door to us that were not of our faith in fact they weren't of any faith at all but good friends we've known them for years um and they were moving and in my family sunday was go to church stay in your your your, your church clothes um you know hang out and play games with the family and this this family next door was moving and my dad said we're, we're going to help them move and that was like shocking to me and so we went to church that morning and i started asking all of my youth pastors and youth leaders and I said hey my neighbors are moving but it's sunday and you know the scriptures clearly say we don't labor on sunday and and they were all like yeah no this is a really tough one and i'm like <laughs> it's not really tough it's not really that tough and, and looking back at it, I'm like, I don't even know why. Well, I do know why I was struggling with it. But yeah, and I, you were a kid. And I've been raised extremely rigidly, but I was grateful that my parents used good judgment. And they said, no, we're going to help our we're going to help our neighbors move. Uh, and, and but it, the, the thing that's now shocking to me is how much the youth pastors and, right. <laughs> and leaders that's were what like, I'm shocked about. They're like, oh, I don't know. That's really tough. I'm like, no, it's not tough. Well, it's not tough now, but it was tough then. But so anyway, you know, I, I think that's the kind of thing. And, and that may not apply to everybody's you know, viewpoint of spirituality or morality or whatever. But but for me, that was like one of those moments where I had to be like, oh, I got to step out of the box here. Well, I think what you're speaking to, Nathan, is the difference between being a black and white believing child, which in some ways is, in fact, age appropriate for where what their little brains can tolerate and being a black and white rigid grown up. It starts, in my opinion, being less and less adaptive and emotionally healthy for a grown up to live in the mind of a child. That is when I, I think and my feel and the work I do as a therapist is to really pressure the development of individuals away from these safe, I'm putting safe in like hand quotes because what they, they're not safe, what there is, they're fear-driven, right? These are fear-driven means by which we live a life to not actually take personal authority. And what we are here on this earth to do is to become made over in the image of the divine, which means we should seize authority. We should come to a place where we know from that gut sense, that true self within us right. starts to know what is right, good and true for ourselves. Exactly. And that sometimes will push up against all sorts of standards laid out by an institution of the million, you know, in the millions, like we talked about last week. And I think that's where these levels of spiritual development come in where we move from this place of childlike simplicity, necessary, appropriate for a child. 
And then we move into complexity where we start looking at things as more complicated. And then we get disillusioned and disenchanted and we move into perplexity, which is like, I don't even know if I can handle this. Like the cognitive dissonance of this is too much. And then if we're lucky and people stay around and hang in there and can see the value of what it, what it does for the institution to stick around and be true, even in the face of enormous amounts of internal tension, then we move into this place of harmony where we can hold the tension of all of the, the stages that went before and also recognize that there is something to be gained by staying in the institution. And one thing that I did read, this is a, a reading by Scott Peck in, um, in one of his World Less Traveled series books where he spoke of all of the institutions and the religious systems of the world from Buddhism to Hinduism to Christianity all of the great ones that have been around forever, they have a couple of things in common. And one of those things is they speak to and can feed the souls of both the most underdeveloped and the most developed people in their systems. Mm. They can speak to the fundamentalist because that's all, you know, that's what they need, but they can also speak to that person that lives in a deep and profound place of spiritual maturity. And I read that and I was deeply struck by that because what that means is we go to these churches and we get out of them what we need according to where we are in our own development. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know how much more time you have, but let me ask one question to you. Um, so is it ever appropriate for someone to leave their institutional religion? We've talked about some yeah. of the reasons why we stick around, even though it might be hard. And we've talked about some of the reasons why it might still be important to teach children some of these core values. But do you think there are times when someone can say, I cannot be here? Is that ever appropriate? I've addressed that with many of my clients, actually. And I think the answer to that question is absolutely yes. And I agree. I think it is absolutely and, yes. Um, yes. And so, and, and the way I would explore with my person, my client or a friend or a loved one that's, that's jostling or grappling with that question is, I think you have to look at their story, right? I mean, sure. there's never, ever one size fits all. Right. And I would never begin to pretend to know what is right for you. Right. right. You meaning you literally or you meaning anybody that I'm in connection with that is suffering. And so my experience there is to walk them through what they're feeling, what they've gone through, how they have been wounded, how they can make sense of it, mm -hmm. how they can kind of explore all of the, um, the various details and then what their body is, you know, how their body is responding to the, you know, to the prospect of moving in or moving out. Mm-hmm and and really just being true to them mm -hmm. you know, letting them learn how to be true to themselves and the other thing that i explore with people in this question is there is a difference between one who leaves their faith tradition and one who leaves their relationship with the divine mm. like those are two entirely different questions and sure. one may choose to do both but to 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 leave one's faith does not mean Necessarily. That doesn't necessarily, and frequently it does not mean to, that they're leaving, uh, they're, they're leaving relationship with the divine. And sometimes what it actually means is that they're finally in a more congruent relationship with the divine because the institution has been getting in the way for whatever mm -hmm. reason. 
And something else that is very, very interesting is that what I am fund I'm always most interested in in the work that I do with people is I'm helping them come into relationship with their inner divinity, mm-hmm. with the divine within them. And when that happens, and as they get closer and closer and closer to that innate sense of their own you know, inner wholeness, their relationship with the divine will get stronger because they're just basically coming into connection with who they always have been and, and can be in relationship to the, the divine, you know, the, the divine, right? right. And, um, and things become reconciled, sometimes inside of faith, sometimes outside of faith. That's not for me to say. And it's not even something that I'm overly, I'm not worried about it. How do you, how do you experience that? And what are your thoughts and feelings on that? No, I I think it's exactly right. And when I was younger, I used to think that organized religion was the answer to every problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I got older, I realized that there are people who have been deeply hurt. Yes. By religion, by, by certain viewpoints, by not feeling understood um, by, by living a life that feels congruent to them and yet is incongruent with what they're religious faith may hold and they're just miserable right and you say okay well if the purpose of this religion was to make everybody happy right and they're just miserable all the time something doesn't add up yeah it's not serving them it's not serving them that's a really yes. way to put it yes so, uh yeah i agree i agree I, I don't think everybody that walks away from organized religion is doing it for the right reason but i do think there are times when people sure. need to say look this this is not working for me right now this is yes. not serving my needs this is not how i see the world and I do think it's appropriate at times. Well, and I think like, you know, you have said before, and I, I agree, there is very, very legitimate suffering at the hands of all institutions oh, because all institutions are run by the same people, meaning human <laughs> beings, right. <laughs> right? And I think it's so important to be extraordinarily sensitive to the, the possibility or the, the, not even the possibility, the reality that everyone's relationship with their um, with faith or with organized religion is very, very different. I remember running a group a few weeks ago. I run a group every week um, with corporate professionals, and it's a growth-oriented group, and we opened with a, a mindfulness and meditation practice that included a lot of loving kindness and things of that nature. And I remember closing that out and asking the members to speak into what they were feeling. And one woman said, this feels like church. And I thought, that's very interesting. And luckily, I didn't make any assumptions about what that meant, because I thought to myself, that could mean something beautiful and tender, or that could mean something very, very bad. (laughs) And so I said to her, thank you for saying that. Tell me what you (laughs) say say more. What does that mean? Because I did not take for granted what she meant by that. And she did, in fact, say, I feel peace. I feel centered. I feel more whole and more connected with myself and with the, you know the earth and the divine and the universe and all of these things. And mind you, this is a, a beautiful group of people that are all religions and no religions that I that I facilitate this for. And so I I, I lo- I'm sharing that experience because once again, these we are we are so unique as individuals and I think when we are allowed to live into and to speak into and feel heard and seen in whatever that experience is with religion and with the divine, that is when we finally start feeling peace. It's not when we're told how to feel, how to believe, what to do, whether we should stay, whether we should go. If people are imposing those things on us, we will dig in our heels and we will not come to who it is that we are to become in this life and world in any realm, 
right? Agreed. Okay, are there any final thoughts, feelings you have, Nath, as we close this out today? No, I, I think we've touched on the things that, that people have, have commented on and, and asked about. Um, and I've been very, um, like I said, I've been, I've been very interested in the minor explosion of my social media over these <laughs> issues. Um, and uh, I, I just I feel very good that we've been able to clarify some of these these things, at least from our perspective. And again, you know, what we say may not be the right answer for everybody. Um, but with I think in some way we all grapple with the same question and, and we're happy to, number one, share our, our failures and successes and the things that we've learned. Uh, and number two, we're happy to create a voice that says, yeah, it, it's OK to think differently. It's OK to ask questions. Um, the divine that I believe in doesn't punish people for asking questions, trying to grow, wanting to get it right. And, and so I, I think it's perfectly fair for the, the people who have asked us questions. And I think it's perfectly for us, fair for us to respond in an authentic way about how we yes. see things. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I think, you know, I think what this hopefully is doing and what Nathan and I have been like navigating in the last few years around this is um, it's a scary it's a scary road to, when, when, when you move away from uh, just letting the big people out there tell you what to do and how to think and how to feel. Right. Yeah. And to take on this um, this responsibility of one's own destiny and to have the personal authority to say this is my choice and this is how I feel and what I feel is best for us. Or you know whatever that thing is, and then to and then to be okay outside of the validation of of whomever, whatever that means, whether it be family or institution or whatever, to do that thing that feels right for you, or to stay because that feels right for you. Like ultimately, what I want for myself and all the people that I love is to become so whole and so sure of myself and the soul within me that will lead me right, that I can do what is right for me in this and every realm, and stand tall. Mm. right that yeah. is soul development yeah. and um, if the institution helps with that by all means stay in there if the institution is damaging then do what is right for you and um, I just feel really really strongly about that so yeah. agree. let's close out and no promises about next week I have an idea of what it'll be but I'm gonna just keep my mouth shut <laughs> and thank you all for being here as we tackle all things burnout and really jump deeper into this topic of burnout around formal institutional religion. Take care. Bye-bye.